Hello and welcome to the The Synthy Podcast. I'm your host, Synthus May Jr. Follow me on what may be the Elon app again at The CMD, that's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at The CMD Podcast, as well as on the Zuckerberg app and the China app. For all content, audio and visual, hit up the revamped TheCMD.com. Follow along, subscribe to the YouTube page. Link is in the description. Subscribe to the podcast. Five Star Nothing Less, Tell a Friend podcast available on all major podcasts and platforms, including the Purple app and the Rogan app. Musical production done by Mayfirst Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Yo, I know I'm not like a tech YouTuber, but the things I had to rig up just to get this so that y'all can hear if you're lucky enough and you should be to be able to check out the visuals for this, to be able to get the sound drops and all of that for just the, uh, the visual and the audio audience, it's kind of crazy what I had to rig up here. Kind of crazy. Maybe I'll do one of those behind the scenes tech YouTube videos to, uh, to uh, show y'all what type of rig I got set up here. But there's a lot more expensive equipment I could bought and have bought, but still, I figured out a way to rig this cheap system and it's gonna work damn near the same way. So. I'll let your boy for that. Check out the visuals. Subscribe to the YouTube page if you haven't already. Uh, the link is in the description, like I said. So, it's been a minute. And it's been two weeks. Been revamping the pod. Moved podcast host. Getting this YouTube thing up and running. Checking out that. Putting up some shorts and stuff like that. And all of this, for me, is new media. But for the habitual nut hitter Draymond Green, for Clutch Sports... And for the whole LeBron media ecosystem, it's been a bad week for hashtag new media. It's been a pretty bad week for new media. So let, let's run it down. First, we have the whole Draymond Jordan Poole thing. And please believe we will get there. You know, I've been chomping at the bit to try to get on here and talk to y'all about this habitual nut hitter Jordan Poole thing. But also the shop. The shop went out here and gave Easy, Yay, whatever you want to call him, a platform, even after he's been spewing all this anti-Semitic, all this nonsense off the meds talk. And then they decided for the betterment of, you know, the brand, clearly, and everything else. I mean, they gave the PR spin up. You know, we don't want to have negative messages out there. It was like a very much a PR thing for the own PR sake. They don't want to be out here compared to the Fox News of the world that are trying to use Kanye just for clickbait and stuff like that and other platforms that have allowed him to spew this rhetoric. But I mean, it's still a thing of, wait, well, you interviewed him after he did all this. Like, yeah, they scheduled the interview. They confirmed the interview a while ago, but they allowed him even after doing all of this stuff to still still sit down. They thought he was maybe going to do a mea culpa Maybe try to run it back, spin the block on the black community and try to get, you know, his flowers again. But no, he's on that type of time. So new media is learning the hard way 
that as much as they try to go out here and try to claim that they're new media, they're doing old media tricks. You went out there and you booked Kanye because you knew it would generate clicks. You didn't book Ye because you thought it would be a real good conversation. You're really going to get to the bottom of things. You booked him because Kanye equals clicks. Let's be clear. So as much as, you know, Clutch, uh, Draymond, Bronze whole media e ecosystem and just players in general, all these players keep jumping out there thinking that, you know, this whole their new media when they're just doing old media things. You're just controlling your particular narrative. Your narrative is no different than that of a beat reporter, than that of an analyst or expert or whatever. So it's cool for them to have cameras that do 4K. It's cool for them to be able to put up YouTube clips and do numbers. It's cool for them to do pods and be able to leverage deals with traditional media and do partnerships that way. It's cool, but by no stretch is it new. But let's get into the king of new media, Draymond Green, a.k.a. the habitual nut hitter. So he goes out here and, well, first, let's talk about Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole got the bag, right? So obviously between getting laid out by his own teammate, like laid out, like not just, oh, you got punched, not that you just got sucker punched either, you got laid the fuck out. And then you turn around and cash out for 140 M's. I mean, that's a hell of a week. That is a hell of a transition. That, that is a hell of a valley to a peak to get laid out by your teammate and then go sign the contract for up to 140 M's. So let's go to the before the 140 M's. Let's go out to the one hit a quitter that the habitual nut hitter did to Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is known as a talker. That's been his rep ever since he came into the league. I'm sure it even probably preceded him when he was in college. But Jordan Poole is one of those. He going to talk. He going to talk. He going to talk. He going to talk. So, and I'll read here from the phone because I think this, this story uh, encapsulates everything about this. So, after reading this, you tell me would you lay mans out. Okay, so Jordan Poole, known for talking, and apparently is very good at it, and is confirmed after this. But let's get into it. So, it goes as follows, and I quote, As Green shot free throws at the end of one practice, Poole told Green to, quote, stop pissing down his leg. <laughs> Green then airballed the free throw, and the Warriors had to run sprints. No one likes that guy. No one likes that guy. You got one job, habitual nut hitter. You have one job. Hit the damn fee throw. I don't feel like running no more. I don't feel like doing more suicides. And man's airballed the fee throw. Jordan Poole was already living rent free in the habitual nut hitter's head. That's what that tells me. He was living rent free. It goes on. During a Monday scrimmage, Poole had jokingly asked why Draymond's Twitter handle was, quote, money green. If Green was, quote, going to be broke and in Sacramento after this season. So, yo, Jordan Poole is entering GP levels of trash talk at this point. This is GP level. To tell this man to his face, you might be in Sacramento next year. Sacramento of all places. No one in the league, maybe outside of Utah, no one in the league wants to go to that place less. Okay? No one wants to go to Sacramento. Besides maybe Utah, Sacramento is up there in terms of places players don't want to go to. So that is crazy that he's already out here predicting that the habitual nutheader will end up with the kings of all franchises. 
So we go on. King took, no, excuse me, Green took exception to the banter, hurling a ball in, a, in the direction of Poole, which ultimately struck a child of one of the members of the training staff. Now, that Rick Ross laugh is not because it hit a child. It's because when it mattered most, the habitual nut hitter still couldn't aim right. So he airballs the ball on one court on the free throw. Then he follows up a couple of days later and then can't throw the ball correctly at Jordan Poole and hits a child. So rent-free. Jordan Poole rent-free in the habitual nut hitter's head. And lastly... The final straw, which is what we came to know about. The final straw appeared to come Wednesday. So this has been going on for days. Let's talk about that. The fact that that whole thing with that air ball, that was before Monday. Then you have Monday where he's telling him you're going to Sacramento. Then you have a couple of days later where we finally get the incident that had Draymond out here throwing bows. So let's go ahead and get into that. So the final straw appeared to come Wednesday. When Poole asked Green what he did whenever an attractive woman, it says female here, but we say woman, uh, whenever an attractive woman entered the gym at MSU, Michigan State University, quote, did they like the triple singles or was it the screen setting? Yo, this is God tier trolling. This is God tier trolling that Jordan Poole is doing. And that's why Draymond then pressed that man and gave him the one hit a quitter. Because what else is he supposed to do? The triple singles? You're going to bring up what Barkley's been using to chastise this man for years? Was it the screen setting? And let's, let's keep it a buck. That's low-key what Draymond is known for. Like, that's, that's who he is. He's a solid passer. He can facilitate the break at the top, especially for a four, even though technically it's not a four. He's barely 6'6". Six, six. But for what, he, for what he does, he's good at what he does, right? So, But the fact that you could just, you know, isolate this man's skill set to just triple singles in screen setting. I mean, that's God-tier trolling from Jordan Poole. So, of course, Draymond Green, a.k.a. the habitual nut hitter, pressed that man. Of course, he gave him the one-hitter quitter. And, of course, he then had to catch that man once he realized, oh, I really laid him the fuck out. Okay, that was a real thing that the habitual nut had to do. Like once he gave that one hit a quitter, it was like he had this epiphany of, oh shit, I hit him too hard. I really punched him. I really laid him the fuck out. Yeah, you did, Draymond. And not too many of them warriors came to Jordan Poole's defense, by the way. Even though Steph and Steve Kerr said all the right things after the fact when they chastised Draymond in the sense of, you know, Jordan Poole did nothing wrong. He did not deserve, or he did not deserve what he got. He did not deserve that. What he said did not warrant the reaction from the habitual nut hitter. That was basically the, the report. So that's what actually happened, right? Now we know because we got the footage. TMZ went out there and paid a grip. Although let's be real. You work for the Warriors. I'm assuming this employee was an employee, maybe an intern, whoever the person was in the video production team. You work in the Bay Area. Allegedly, they're saying that the tape cost around 100 to 120 grand. If you're an employee of the dubs, don't you need more than that to survive? Like in one check, if you just get a check for 100 grand, cool. But like you still need more than that, in my opinion. Like that's, I would ask for half a mil. 
That's how crazy I am. But that's that's the leverage. It's a leverage play. Who else had that footage? Unless you're worried another employee or maybe another player might have tried to sneak that off and cash out too. Like if, if that was if it was a bidding war, it was like, yo, the first one at TMZ, just cash out. Just cash out and flip. Maybe that, but I would have tried to get more bread to keep it a buck with you. I would have asked for half a mil. Harvey and them got it. Harvey and them got it. Please believe. They got that. And they've spent that to get footage before. So now we know what happened because the footage came out. Here's the thing. There was reports prior to that to cover up what the eventual truth was. And it was done by Clutch, new media. The habitual nut hitter and Clutch, which is Rich Paul and them, used one of their insider guys that is in their pocket, you know, a guy, Chris Haynes, and they used him to try to go out there and smear Jordan Poole's name before this story came out. They use it in the sense of, oh, Jordan Poole's been a diva. He's been talking a lot. He's been talking about his contract. He's more focused on his money than like, you, you can go look it up. Like the report was there. They got one of their insiders to go out there and publicly smear Jordan Poole's name so that if this tape didn't come out, then it would just have been, oh, well, you know, man's been wowing and then Draymond had to check him. That basically would have been, that would have, would have been whittled down to is just that Jordan Poole was out here big talking, big wowing, and the habitual nut hitter had to go out here and check him. But once we saw the tape and saw how crazy he laid this man out, this ain't just a quick tap. This ain't Kobe Chris Childs. This was fucking Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. That's what this was. And there was no punch back. It was just straight a one hit acquitter. Like, you know, if, if, if Deontay Wilder can get this dub tonight, maybe he could get in the ring with the habitual nut hitter because that, that seems to be what the habitual nut hitter is on. Let's get into the Draymond apology or fake apology because he said all the right things. I heard them. And he said them in a tone that would make you think he was remorseful. He even had the body language of someone that seemed to be genuine when giving an apology. So how come I don't believe him? Well, if you watch the little faux press conference thing, he did that for the first 45 seconds. He gave the apology. Then he spent the next who knows number of minutes complaining that the tape was released. So it's like, are you only apologizing because the tape came out and we saw how crazy you laid son out? Or are you being genuine in the fact that, yo, I fucked up, my bad, let me go out here and publicly wear it. Then we had the punishment. I mean, but was, was there any? Like, I'm still waiting for the punishment because he told us, or maybe he told the Warriors and then the Warriors told us that he's just gonna go chill at the crib for a week. I mean, what job do you have that you can lay out a coworker and you could just tell the boss, all right, I'll be back in a week, but I'm still getting paid for that week though, right? I mean, you no know, game checks haven't really come in yet, but still, like, man's hit a coworker, laid him out pretty bad. Like, some people even reported that Poole might have lost consciousness briefly. Like, you literally knocked out a coworker and you told the job, I'll be back in a week, peace. Like, I, look, the war is supposed to be a revolutionary franchise. They claim they were going to revolutionize basketball. And while the threes and bunches, our threes and more than U2's philosophy has gotten them four chips, I just don't see it. I don't see this revolutionary tactic. They lucked into Steph because he fell the way that he did. 
Clay turned out to be a thing. Thank you, Mark Jackson. The habitual nut hitter turned out to be a thing. Thank you, Mark Jackson. So they were able to luck their way into becoming really good really quickly. And they have sustained it by paying their own. And the luxury tax is going to be really crazy with this Jordan Poole deal. And that's why there might have been that animosity, animosity in the first place. Because if you're Draymond, you're trying to cash out one last time. This is probably going to be his last max contract if he can get one. And of course he wants to be a, a dub. Of course he wants to be a warrior. Why wouldn't you be? Four chips? God deserve that. Mm, see, but the way this luxury tax is set up, though, <laughs> the way this luxury tax is set up, we got to move on, bro. You could argue they could have moved on a couple of years ago. But, you know, he's with Clutch and Rich Paul and it's a mafia. You know, it is what it is. But, you know, it comes down to the Warriors are going to have to choose. I mean, they've clearly already chosen by giving Poole 140 M's, but what do you do with the habitual nut hitter? Who wants him? And that's why Jordan Poole hit him with that Sacramento line. Like, that's, that's how we get there. Because he can see it. That whole team can see it. That whole front office, the training staff, the medical staff, everyone can see it. Draymond, what you gonna do? Where are you gonna be? Because it ain't gonna be here. <laughs> It just ain't going to be here. It can't be. It, we physically, we financially literally cannot keep you. Because Steph is making 50, 50 plus. Clay's making 40 plus. Now you have Poole with this new deal at 30 plus, And Draymond's going to be trying to get in that 30, 40 range. Who in their right mind would give Draymond, who is 6'6", old as hell, can't score, can still rebound a little bit, can still pass a little bit. Like the, the diminishing return you're going to get on that bread is crazy. You're not going to get no ROI on investing a max contract in the habitual nut hitter. So who's going to be foolish enough to do it? Who? I don't even think Sacramento would do it. They might do it in a trade. You might have to package one of them youngins. Because that, that's another problem. They have so many youngins who are good the whole revolutionized basketball thing, I'll give them that in terms of the last two draft classes, they've been kicking ass. And they got a bunch of youngins that need to hoop and hoop now. So it's going to be a thing where these youngins need to get some PT. You can't just have Kaminga making love to the bench for three years. Weissman is healthy again. Baldwin's a problem. Rollins can hoop. Like they got at least five guys that are ready in my opinion, to contribute right now. Maybe not start. I mean, Weissman should start. But in terms of contributing minutes, hell, I thought Kaminga should have been getting some run in the finals. When Tatum was killing early in the finals, I thought Kaminga should have been out there. I was screaming from the mountaintops. Dust off Kaminga. Especially because he gave you something in that Dallas series. But it is what it is. Steve Kerr knows more than us, right? So the youngins have to play. The PT is going to have to be doled out at some point. And the Warriors are going to have to make their mind up. There's going to be a transitionary period. The whole key is in keeping a franchise and keeping a dynasty rolling is to, as your old stars, as your stars age, can you replenish? Can you replenish the deck and find another star or two to help as the old stars are fading away? Draymond for that team is a star. They have other guys now that can come in and do similar things, if not better. So you need to transition him out. Hell, if Clay 
didn't look like Clay last year, you could have made that argument that, yo, maybe they need, they need to move on from Clay too. Because now with Jordan Poole, he's a splash cousin. He's not a splash brother. He's not on that level. But he's a splash cousin. As Steph continues to be Steph, as he continues to be someone that the league props up, you can have Poole slide in there and play alongside of him and give you similar production. Now, he's Basura on defense. And that's where I need to figure out, and I'm pretty sure the Warriors are also trying to figure out, where's the defense prowess going to come from? Because Eagle Dalla is walking away after this year. They dragged him back this year. He claims this is his last year. Kevion Looney. I mean, they've been getting away with having him there for a few years now. If Weissman's going to be that dude that can protect the rim, score in the paint, even take you outside a little bit, that can supplant Looney. If you have Kaminga come in and be able to do some things that Iguodala can do, do some things that Wiggins, oh, we ain't even, we ain't even talk about Wiggins, bread. throw him in that luxury tax too. But in regards to Kaminga coming in and being that Iguodala type person, then maybe even that a Wiggins person that could be that wing defender that can be aggressive, go to the cup and give you a little something from the outside. Like there's already replacements for the current five on the bench. You could literally do a swap of the five youngins that they've taken over the last two draft classes and put them right in right now or mix and match. So yeah, the habitual nut hitter is going to have to go because there's no more room for him. There's literally no more room for him past this year. You want to give him to 2024? I wouldn't, but something needs to give. Something needs to give for you the words. That luxury tax is no joke. And I know that chase building out there in the Bay is caking. Okay, they're making major buku bucks off that chase center. But at some point, that luxury tax bill, that's a big check to write in one fell swoop. So Bob Myers and his organization that's going to revolutionize basketball, they better get funny with the money or get them budgets right or cut ties with a star that's been long past his prime. One time for Jersey's own Brandon Jennings for hopping in and turning this whole Jordan Poole habitual nut hitter thing even higher, he got on the Elon app and aired out some tea. It involves Braun, it involves Drake, it involves Tristan Thompson, it involves a habitual nut hitter. We got to talk about it. I'm going to read it to y'all. On the Elon app, Brandon Jennings was on Twitter saying, quote, you doing all that because you in this NBA facility, which is a safe ground. But at Delilah, with Tristan... When he open hand slapped him, he ain't do nothing in front of LeBron and Drake. <laughs> Inside with Bron and them the next week. I mean, yo, if you're Bron, how do you sign a man after you just watched him get pimp slapped by Tristan Thompson of all people? Tristan? Mr. Kardashian? Open hand slap? He on that Oakley? Is Tristan on that Oakley? There's the only other dude I know in the league that be open hand slapping people to this day is the Oak. Oak man, Charles Oakley. So, I mean, if Tristan's out here on that Oak, so see, that, that's another thing, right? You got all that talk. Or you didn't have all that talk. Y'all had all them hands for Jordan Poole. And then you go out here and you get pimp slapped by Tristan? I mean, that's shaky in the light. If I, I mean, that, that is literally the definition of shaky in the light. Like, you're bullying Jordan Poole. He's poking you from for days, right? We had the air ball poking you. We doing wind sprints because of you because you can't fucking hit a free throw. That's poking you. 
Now we go to the next day where we're talking about, uh, where was it? Oh, you're going to be in Sacramento. You're going to be in Sacramento, dogs. Yo, bruh, how are you going to feel hooping in Sacramento next year? More poking, more poking. And then the last straw is, yo, dogs, when women came to come check y'all out, how did you bag? Did you bag because of triple singles or was it setting screens? What turned them on? All this poking led to that one hit of quitter. That, but again, that's bullying because he knew he could do it. He's physically larger than this man. But when he's against someone his own size, maybe even bigger, and Tristan, open hand slap? In front of Braun and them? Jersey? God damn. Canadians. Yo, them Canadians, yo. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. I've heard stories. I ain't hear no pimp slap stories like that, but I've heard stories. Fuck around with Tristan if you want to. God damn. The new media, though. Is Coach Prime swack? I never really considered the question until Eddie Robinson Jr. brought it up the other day. And, okay, first of all, not that Eddie Robinson, so not that Eddie Robinson Jr. But, I mean, points were made, right? Because Dion coaching Jackson State, a lot of people thought that was just going to be a stepping stone, and it still may be. A lot of people thought that was going to be a stepping stone job. And he's just going to bring some light. He's making sure his son gets on and has every opportunity to flourish and maybe get to the league. Like, a lot of people have been skeptical of Dion's uh, meaning for going to Jackson State and investing so much of his time and effort there. And let's not forget, he was accusing people of stealing a couple of years ago. Like, wasn't that last year? He was accusing people of stealing at Jackson State. He was accusing his own alumni or faculty, his own team of stealing from him. So he's come a long way from doing that to now. Every, every, every week he's going viral for, you know, posting his, his pregame speech or whatever the case may be. So if you're not hip, Dion in Jackson State was going up against uh, Alabama State and it was homecoming and it was a whole, it was a whole to-do, right? But Dion's whole pregame prep, and apparently he was talking trash leading up to the, leading up to the game and all that. And, you know, but this just prime being prime. Like, he's, he's, he's going to be very boastful. That's just who he is. Like, I've never... I've never heard Prime in, in when he's in Prime. Maybe Dion has been humble, but I've never heard Prime be humble. You know what I'm saying? So he was talking his talk the whole week leading up to the game, and Eddie Robinson Jr. and Alabama State took offense. So when Prime likes to survey the field, apparently, he likes to walk the entirety of the field. Now, when I was doing NFL, um, I would do the same thing, but that was like literally my job to survey making sure that all the equipment was right on the field. So, like, I know that's a long-ass walk to just walk an entire football field surveying the perimeter. But apparently, Dion does that just to kind of get a feel for the lay of the land or something like that. Like, dude, he's not hooping no more. He's, he's not even, he's not, he's not balling no more. Like, he, he, has, he has amputated toes. Like, he's not, like, like I don't know, man. De- De- Dion's a different dude. Prime's a different dude, right? So, he's out there surveying. Uh, the field, and apparently he had to cut through Alabama State's huddle to do that, and people took offense to that. So Eddie Robinson was not happy with the antics, the pregame antics, the pre-week antics, and after, you know, Jackson State gets the dub against Alabama State, you know, they go to midfield for the customary handshake, you know, maybe with the HBCU or the swag, you get a little, you know, thug hug in there, but there was no thug hug love as at, you know, midfield between Dion, Coach Prime, and Eddie Robinson Jr., like, he kind of gave man's a jam. Like, it wasn't a stiff arm, 
But Eddie Robinson kind of gave Prime, you know, a jab. Like, it was almost like he was the DB and Prime was a receiver. And he was jamming him at the line the way that he put that. It was like real quick, like, nah, dogs, like, off me. Like, get off me. Like, nah, don't, don't be trying to, like, give it up like we're boys and all that. Like, fall back. And, you know, of course, Coach Prime took offense. You know, try to make it about himself. But everyone wanted to hear what Eddie Robinson Jr. had to say. And he aired it out. And he said, Prime's not swack. You out here to cash out. You out here to help your son. You out here to push your agenda. Push your name. Push your narrative to go get a power five. Go get a power five job. And Dion Coach Prime has already said he's turned down jobs at power fives already. Like, allegedly really good jobs if we let him tell it. But who knows? I mean, outside of Florida State... I don't know what other program would have reached out to him that was like of that level. But according to him, he's already turned down big time power five conferences. So, I mean, is Dion really here to stay in the swag? Is that really going to be a thing? I have no idea. I think it's just funny as hell to watch Prime out here getting jammed, getting jammed. Like this ain't Jerry Rice versus him. This is not the other way around. Like Eddie Robinson hit him with that quick jam in the chest. He couldn't get off the line. I mean, it's hard to get off the line when you got no toes. When you got amputated toes, it's hard to get off the line. But Coach Prime, is he swack? That's a really good question because, I mean, clearly his impact has been felt already, right? There's a lot, lot, lot more notoriety. It was like a... Unfortunately, with the George Floyd murder and the, uh, the rise in the social awareness of HBCUs and him going out there to a HBCU to coach... It kind of like was a symbiotic relationship in terms of pushing the agenda, pushing the narrative of we need to pay more attention to HBCUs. We need to go out there and give them money because their their facilities aren't up to par. And we need to have high level players consider going to HBCUs to help build them back up. And you've seen that. We've had NFL players go back to coach. Eddie George is a coach now. T.O. hangs around a lot of the programs. So, I mean, we have some guys that are trying to get back and shine some light. But do we really think Deion's going to stay at Jackson State? Like, Jackson State has a legacy. They got four NFL Hall of Famers. Like, you know, rest in peace, Walter Payton. Like, they, they got a bunch of dudes. So, we, we're not trying to act like Jackson State hasn't been that before. They've been on top. It's just a matter of, you know, ever since integration, it's kind of been, you know, scary hours for that and all other HBCUs in terms of acquiring high-level talent. So, if Deion stays... What type of legacy can he have? If he goes, what happens to Jackson State? And if we keep funneling in dollars and high-level talent keeps investigating going to HBCUs and actually do go to HBCUs, as we see these Power Five conferences all shrinking and consolidating into maybe one or two big conferences, what happens to the SWAC? What happens to HBCU football in general? or even just HBCU athletics in general? Can they survive if it's literally just two big-ass conferences, the SEC and the Big 10, Big 12, whatever you want to call it, whatever name, the Big 25, whatever they end up being? Like, can they survive if it's literally just two giant conferences? They've already been swallowed up in terms of finances and impact and notoriety. What happens when there's only two conferences that matter in college football? The Eagles are 5-0. A lot of experts and pundits and even shills and fanboys expected that. They're a good team. Everyone kind of knew they would be really good this year. The Cowboys, 
are four and one. And if you would have told me they would be in four and one, I'm like, oh well, Dak must be out here cooking. But even with Cooper Rush coming in and kind of steadying the ship, you know, the Cowboys are still the Cowboys. They have a lot of talent, even though their fan base is very split in regards to how much talent. They still have enough talent to be four and one. That's not that much of a big deal that they're four and one. But the Giants, though, four and one. Who the hell had that? Who the hell had the Giants at four and one? No one expected the Giants to be four and one. Well, that's not all the way true. There was someone who expected the Giants to do big things this year. There was someone who wasn't using analytics. There was someone who was not using studying the All-22. There was someone who was not looking at the potential improvement of Danny Penny's, not the cleaning house and getting in just a new coaching regime. It was someone that was not looking at the fact that Saquon Barkley, if healthy, is still him. It was none of that. There was someone who foresaw this. Me. I'm sorry. I pat myself on the back. Like, yeah, that was your boy. Your boy has been telling anyone who would listen at the day gig. They, once the schedule came out, once the schedule was released, I was like, wait, hold up. The Giants are playing who? Week after week? Who? Dogs. The entire NFC East has the easiest schedule in the league. The easiest schedule in the league. The entirety of the NFC East. That's why they're killing shit. It's the NFC feast. The NFC feast right now is because they're all playing the easiest schedule. That's why Philly's 5-0. That's why Dallas is 4-1. That's why the Giants are 4-1. And then there's Washington. I don't, I don't know what happened there. I mean, well, if I let shit, if I let Ron Rivera tell me, he knows exactly why. It's the quarterback. I mean, Carson Wentz is getting called out by his coach. Do you know how rare that is for a coach like Ron Rivera, a former player turned coach like Ron Rivera, calling out a quarterback like that? A quarterback that clearly was highly thought of, highly thought of by management, by ownership. But Ron Rivera putting that out there like that tells me, and it should tell you, that, oh, he didn't want him. I mean, why would anyone want Carson Wentz? I mean, the Colts learned. The Colts learned real quick. Oh, no, no, he ain't him. He ain't him. But why did Washington think, oh, yeah, he is him? I, I just, I don't understand. That must be a Daniel Snyder thing. And if you know the news, what's going on with Daniel Snyder, we already know what type of time he's on. I spoke about this leading up to this NFL season, and I coined it the most dangerous phrase in all the sports. But this, this applies here where, you know, the Washington football team, because I'm not going to call them their name because that name is trash. Um, the Washington football team tricked not only themselves, but the, their fan base, and they're not the only ones, as other teams have done it, into thinking that, you know, they're just a quarterback away. It's the most dangerous phrase in all sports. We're just a quarterback away. They felt with Heineke and all of that last year, that, oh, we can upgrade. They somehow thought that Carson Wentz is an upgrade over Heineke. And with the first two weeks, stats-wise, you would have thought, oh, they, they, they hit on this. Because Wentz, stat-wise, looked good. But then Wentz went Wentz ever since. 
and that's the Carson Wentz experience. That's why you can't really put too much more into it because Carson Wentz has shown us who he is. Outside of that brief little run in Philly where he was thought to be an MVP candidate, he's been who we thought he was ever since. But the Washington football team tricked themselves into thinking they were a quarterback away. And with Ron Rivera actually airing that out, that they are still a quarterback away, that's a damning indictment. Is he going to spin the block on Heineke? Is he going to run that man right back out there and have Carson Wentz making love to that bench, marinating? That's wild to me. But he's not the only one. Look, there's been a lot of mid-QB play. There's been a lot of teams that thought they were a quarterback away, and it's five games in, and now we're heading into bye weeks, and teams are starting to realize, yo, we're still a quarterback away. <laughs> like We're still like a quarterback away. We thought we had it. We thought we signed this guy and he was going to be it. He ain't it. Like, look at Indianapolis where Carson Wentz left. Matt Ryan. The Colts are still a quarterback away. There's nothing more I can tell you on that. They're a quarterback away. Still. Like, Andrew Luck really left them for dead. Like, we need to... That's not talked about enough how Andrew Luck left that franchise for dead. Oh, you're not going to give me an O-line that can pass block? Y'all want me to run around here and be all concussed like I'm Tua? No, 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 no. I'll walk away. I'll walk away while I can still remember my kids' names, and I'm good. I'm good on that. So you have the Colts that are still a quarterback away. Who else is a quarterback away? Are the Raiders still a quarterback away? Because you have to look at Derek Carr and say, what more do you need? What more do you need? We got racist Chucky up out of there. We brought in your mans from college, Devonta Adams. You still have Darren Waller. You have Josh Jacobs. We even gave you a Hunter Renfro. What more do you need? You still mid? You still mid. I mean, look, this whole thing with the quarterbacks and the fact of you either have the stud franchise QB that can make the players around him better, or you get the, I don't want to use game manager, but you get the mid QB and then surround them with talent and watch them flourish. You have to make your choice up. Like you really have to make your mind up in terms of what do you want? Are you going to wait until a franchise QB falls into your lap? Or are you going to get a QB who is reasonable enough, who is average enough, and then just surround him with weapons? That's what the Dolphins try to do with Tua. That's what the Eagles clearly have done with Jalen Hurts. Like, this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, you could, I mean, do we really know if Jay Herbo is him? He's been surrounded with talent. We saw how Josh Allen was before Stephon Diggs. And we see how he is now. Like, there's an argument to be made here in terms of who is really elite and who is just mid, but is surrounded with weapons. And that's how you end up like Washington, where you have a mid QB. He has weapons, not top tier weapons, but he has good weapons. McLaurin's nice. I know Dotson's hurt. Dotson's hurt. And then you have Brian Robinson, who literally just got shot a few days ago. I mean, the fact that man's just out here running the rock, scoring touchdowns a week after getting shot, like, yeah, yeah, you, you can come out the 50 cent mini, man. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You got it. You got it. You got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, please believe. You got that. And by the way, in case you ain't know, Southside. Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, did they think they were a QB away? Did they really think bringing in 
Mitsubishi Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky would make them be a quarterback away? Because it's clear that they're still a quarterback away, even though they drafted Pickett. Now they realize and just handed the keys over to Pickett like, all right, bro, you got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mitch, go ahead and sit down. Now, is that it for Mitch? Are we done with him? Are we done with him as a starter? Are we done with him as anyone's future? He's on that Chase Daniel wave, right? Like, he's, he's no longer going to start. Like, two franchises have given him a chance. Like, two franchises have, like, legitimately invested in him. Like, that's it for him, right? Like, I hope we're done there. Ah. Gino! Gino. Gino Smith. The best black quarterback for two franchises. Two. The Jets and the Giants. <laughs> the best black quarterback in their history. Yes. Ben McAdoo is smiling somewhere, right? Anywho. So Gino's out here killing it. And is Pete Carroll looking like a genius? Because I was, I was hard on Pete Carroll. Pause. Coming into the season because I was like, yo, dogs, them green smoothies and that yoga shit you was, you was selling years ago. Like, you can't really still be selling that in 2022. That shit don't work. It was revolutionary back then, you know what I'm saying, to institute that into football players' lives, but that's, that's, that's old shit now. So I thought the game passed him by. And the game still may have passed him by, but apparently Gino's just out here following the play calls. Like, that's all that. That's the only difference between what he's doing and what apparently your man's Rusty was doing is that Rusty was out there, you know, audible and calling his own plays and you know, he wanted to be, he wanted to cook, right? Let Russ cook. And we've seen how that's worked out for Denver. But Gino's like, nah, I don't need to cook. I'm here to eat. <laughs> I'm here to eat. Serve it up. Serve it up. Serve up the play. I eat that. I'm not here trying to be the chef. I'm not here trying to shop for the groceries. I'm not here trying to prep no meats. Now nah, I'm good. I just want to eat dogs. And that's what Gino's doing. Gino is eating. And Denver, another team that thought they were a QB away, are they still a QB away? Oh, Russell's got a hurt lat. His lat's bothering him. Shoulder stuff. Sure. Matt Stafford, the Rams. A couple years ago, they were a QB away. And they had to surround Matt Stafford with elite talent. Not just Cooper Cup, but OBJ. And then on defense, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. And they still almost tricked off the Super Bowl. That's what it took to get Matthew Stafford to win a Super Bowl. The thing that trips me out so much about the Denver thing is like, all right, Russ, you left Seattle because you wanted to cook, but you left weapons behind. Like, there's a running game in Seattle. There's DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett in Seattle. Now, Denver has weapons. Cortland Sutton is all right. Jerry Judy has potential to be really nice, potential to be a number one. But I mean, that's really about it. Like, I don't know what you're cooking. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. And the thing with Hackett has shown that nepotism can only go so far in this league because he's already looking shaky in a light and we ain't even eight games in. Like two, three games in, everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. This dude might not be it. We don't care what his last name is. So I don't know what Russ wants to cook or what he thought he was going to cook. Like, wouldn't that be something you clear ahead of time? Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, the, the, the move there in terms of, all right, I want to go somewhere where I could go cook. But maybe, and the streets have been talking, and the streets are undefeated, 
streets have been talking that maybe Denver wasn't his first choice anyway. Maybe he was looking at somewhere else. Maybe somewhere else east. Way east. But that might have been for, you know, ulterior motives, not necessarily on the field motives. But needless to say, going to Denver was supposed to be a move and there is talent there, but it's not like he left a team that had nothing. Like Geno Smith is walking in and he's able to throw a deep ball to DK Metcalf, throw a jump ball to DK Metcalf, to throw slants to Tyler Lockett, to throw sluggos to Tyler Lockett. Like, I don't understand why Russ thought he couldn't cook. Maybe if you just stop trying to remix, maybe your acumen isn't what you thought it what you thought it is. Like maybe it's just that. And maybe that's what you're seeing in Denver is that to me that receiving core is a step below what he had in Seattle. Maybe you don't have the horses that you used to have that used to bail you out on those deep balls. When you're holding on to the ball for seven, eight seconds and then just throw it up and Tyler Lockett makes a crazy body adjustment and catches the ball and still finds a way to get two feet down. That's not happening in Denver. Maybe that's a you thing. I have to get into this Daniel Snyder thing. I have been talking about Daniel Snyder and his ineptitude as the Washington football team's owner for a very long time on this podcast, on my other ventures, on different uh, outlets and all that. So it it was um, music to my ears to hear that more Daniel Snyder tea has been leaked. Um, Of my era of my lifetime, he is top five, one of the worst owners in all sports. Easy. And he's nearing the top. Like he might be top two after everything is said and done. When you factor in the ineptitude of the team's performance. When you factor in the ineptitude of the, uh, the, the franchise as a whole in terms of how they moved, in terms of being forced to remove a racist name as a team name, and all, the, all the, the lack of insight that came with that, the fact that he couldn't procure a better name because everyone else was waiting for him to change the name because everyone knew he was going to have to change the name except him. Um, when you look at the fact that that stadium that they have is a dump, it was built too large. That stadium was built to hold 90,000 people. They have shrunk it down now to 60,000 people, and they still can't sell out. So there's an ineptitude there. Uh, that stadium is a dump, by the way. I've had the displeasure of working there a few times in, in my profession, and working there and having to deal with the, dealing with the lack of updated tech, the lack of updated facilities in that building, it really takes you back to a time warp. Like you feel like you don't even feel like you're in the nineties. You feel like you're in the eighties when you walk into that building. Um, the might as well just have kept RFK alive. And the fact that RFK is still standing means like, yo, I could have just stayed there. There's iPhone advertisements on, on RFK stadium. It's still there. Um, that franchise is really problematic with what they did to RG three. The fact that the field hurt that man and no one was held accountable like this. There's so much you could talk there. And we're not even getting into the workplace harassment, uh, sexual and otherwise, in that franchise. Like, there's a lot there to unpack. But the fact that he's 10 toes down saying, if y'all take me down, I'm taking all y'all with me, in terms of there's reports that the other owners have finally decided that maybe, just maybe, they can get enough votes, which is 24. That's a lot of votes. 24 Owners have have to vote out Daniel Snyder to get him to be removed to be owner of the Washington football team. And Daniel Snyder is no fool. He realizes that the wolves are circling and he's like, oh, wait, 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 hold up. Y'all air me out. 
y'all push me out. When y'all do push me out, all y'all tea coming out. And that's the last thing any of these owners want because you can't amass the type of wealth these owners have without doing some nefarious shit. Let's just call it what it is. Like you can't amass the billions it takes to build anything to be able to buy something like an NFL team without doing some shady shit. You got some skeletons. If you're a billionaire, there are guaranteed skeletons in your closet. So of course, Daniel Snyder's out here hiring private investigators to go find out some tea. And look, Jerry Jones, for all intents and purposes, is like the godfather of the owners, him and Bob Kraft, but I would say still more so Jerry. And everyone kind of looks to Jerry's lead like, hey, where are you leaning on this vote? He has that type of influence and that type of power still to this day because the Cowboys love him and hate him. They're one of the highest value franchises in the world. So, and Jerry's the leader of that. So he gets that power that comes with that, right? So whatever Jerry says usually goes. The fact that even Jerry allegedly is out here maybe pushing like, all right, yeah, I'm willing to cut man's loose. Because before, that was, always, that was always one of the things. Like, if Jerry says no, then we're just going to fall in line with Jerry. Because if he's saying no to it, then that means it must affect his bread, so he's not trying to mess his bread up. But if Jerry's now out here leaning, like, mm, maybe it is time. Maybe it's time to get Danny up out of here. Because apparently he's like one of the least liked owners, if not one of the most hated owners, amongst the other owners. Like, so in a room full of billionaires... You're the one that everyone is giving a side eye to. You're that guy. You don't want to be that guy. But Daniel Snyder's stubborn. He grew up a fan of the Washington football team. So it was was a childhood dream of his to own this team. And now he owns it. And he has been single-handedly one of the main people that have driven that franchise into the ground. But the only thing that he has been unable to do is to drive the value of that franchise into the ground. Because the NFL is an unstoppable monster. It's an unstoppable machine that the revenue just keeps going up and the value keeps going up along with it. So how can you force this man to sell? Well, if I'm him, I don't want to sell. Even if we keep being mid, my value still goes up. You can't beat that type of return. Plus, you have something that is so precious in terms of owning a franchise, a sports franchise, and the NFL one at that. So it's going to take a lot more than the owners whispering to their, you know, uh, insiders or their sources that, hey, we may be close. We may be close. Like, you need to really be solid in that. Because I do believe Daniel Snyder will air them out. I mean, the fact that uh, Al Michaels during the Thursday night game was able to speak towards that and bring that up on Amazon, which, you know, is Bezos, which owns the Washington Post, which he may be using to leverage to get more tea and more dirt on the Washington football team so he could then flip and buy the Washington football team. I'm just saying. It's smart. I'm not mad at it. Let's just call it what it is. So the fact that the Washington Post and the Four Letter Network have been so staunch in their reporting, in their airing out of the laundry of the Washington football team, if you're dead Daniel Snyder, what else do you have to do besides trying to go get dirt on others? Go get some dirt on somebody else. Deflect. Deflect. It's the instant emotion. Like, oh, you're coming at me? No, no, no. Don't look at me. Look at him. Look at them. Don't look at me. Or if you take me out, I'm taking all y'all with me. I'm not going to be the only billionaire put out on the street. No, 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 no. Y'all all going to have to sell. 
We all going to be Jerry Richardson cashing out and walking away. That's what's going to happen. The future top pick in the upcoming NBA draft put on the show the other night on the full of the network. He was scoring, finishing at the rim. He was showing you all the skill sets that has like NBA scouts drooling. Oh yeah, Victor Webinyama was hooping too. Yeah, Vic, Vic was out here. He was doing his thing. He was all right. He was cool. He was cool. But I'm Team Scoot. I and Team Scoot. And I know, I know. Here goes Sam again with his contrarian shit. And, but this is just how I feel. Like, I, to me, it's... I saw a lot from Vic. That was my first time really paying attention to Vic. I'll admit that. It's also my first time paying attention to Scoot. I saw highlights on both of them, but that was my first time really locking in and watching them. And we got robbed of seeing Scoot in the second game because of Vic. I mean, little, 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 little trickeration, little dirty tactics there by Vic. Little French type tactics, but it's okay. It's okay. But what I saw from Scoot was way more impressive than what I saw from Vic. I'm sorry. You're 7'4", you should have five blocks. I'm sorry, you're 7'4", and you can shoot. You should be dropping 30 plus. Like, you're in a G League. You should be lighting dudes up. I'm not going to sit here and go crazy just because you're 7'4", with an 8-foot wingspan, and you get five blocks. Like, to me, that should be your average. That's not for me to go crazy about. It should be, no, you should be. You should wake up with five blocks. Like, that shouldn't even be a thing. But everyone went crazy because he's 7'4". He's 7'4". That's all I kept hearing. He's 7'4". Look at what he's taller than Kevin Durant. He's like, but all I kept saying was, yeah, that's Porzingis. Be careful what you wish for. Like, KD is seven foot tall. All this is the evolution. We had Dirk Nowitzki, seven foot tall, who was not really a big, didn't really play like a big, but he was seven feet, seven feet tall, right? Then we have, you have Rashard Lewis. We have a whole bunch of guys in between there. But until we eventually get to Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, seven feet tall, not really a big, doesn't play like a big, but now he's got handles. Because you had Dirk at seven foot tall. Dirk never had handles. So he was able to back you down a little bit and set up his jump shot or just pull up bombs away from three. Then you have Rashard Lewis, who just bombs away from three at 6'11". Now we had Kevin Durant, who had handles like a guard, seven foot tall, can attack the rim, finished the rim, it was like the evolution of that, right? And we were waiting, or we've been thinking we were going to get an evolution of that with a Latvian world star, a.k.a. Christos Porzingis. We thought we were going to get that, you know, in players like that. And even we've gotten some of that in Brandon Ingram. B.I. is out here 6'11", and that's why I called him Young Reaper because he reminds me so much of Slim Reaper, Kevin Durant. But B.I. is out here, and he's hoping. He doesn't have, he's not a two-way player like how Kevin Durant was at his peak. Um, but he reminds me so much. And it's more than just the skinny frame. Because everyone keeps saying, well, they're both skinny. So, of course. I'm like, no, it's, it's more than that. It's the way that he plays. It's the way that he attacks the rim. I think even B.I. would tell you that he patterns a lot of his game from a fundamental standpoint off of Kevin Durant. So, when you look at that, Vic is now thought of to be the evolution of even what we got from Kevin Durant, because he's even taller. He's 7'4", right? But does that height really mean anything? Because if you really paid attention, that boy is light in the ass. Like, he got bully balled a few times by dudes that were damn near seven, eight, nine inches shorter than him. That's going to happen at the league. And that's what, to me, if you're expecting Vic to come in and get buckets, he'll do that. 
I'm, I'm not crazy enough to sit here and say he's going to be a bust. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to say is I don't know if his stats are going to be as impactful to victories as how Scoots is. This league is more tailor-made for a Scoot-type player today more than a Vic player today. Because when you look at Damian Lillard, when you look at John Moran, who everyone is comparing Scoot to, like the game has been more tailor-made for those guys to flourish more so than the Christos Porzingis's and the Brandon Ingrams. Like, I'm trying to temper expectations for Vic because I'm like, you're just going to get fooled by the talent and the athleticism. Because this, this is why this draft, like the whole Scoot versus Vic thing, reminds me so much of just what we went through a few years ago. We're spinning the block on Ja versus Zion. We're doing it all over again where everyone gets enamored by Zion's physical attributes. And we're just ignoring the ready now skill set of Ja Morant. We're getting fooled into just falling in love with the anomaly of being 7'4", being able to dribble and shoot and attack the rim and block shots and all of that. Meanwhile, we got Scoot right here, who's doing 360s between the legs off one leg. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Have y'all seen Scoot? Have y'all seen Scoot? Like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Like, I understand what Vic can be, potentially. I know what Scoot is right now. When you look at Darius Garland, like all these young explosive guards, Donovan Mitchell, like all these explosive guards, this, there's more of those in the league than of the Vic types that have lived up to the hype. So if you're drafting number one, if you're going to tank and get the ping pong balls to be number one, are you really going to do all of that to take a guy that might not be that, where it's less likely of that guy to live up to the hype? Or the guy that will probably live up to being a Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Dwayne Wade, uh, John Morant, like Damian Lillard type. Like that's the trajectory Scoot is on. You notice how I'm able to name way more guys that have hit that trajectory? I can't name too many with Vic. And that's why everyone's falling for the hype. So I get it. But the Zion thing was the same way. Undersized. But he could jump out the gym. He's strong. He's quick. Then what happened? He puts up points when he scores, when he's actually healthy. Zion will always be able to put up buckets. But the fact of the matter is, does his stats equate to wins? There's some empty stats is a real thing. And I think Vic, to me, as of right now, equates more to an empty stats type projection than this guy is a franchise can't miss. You're going to win multiple championships type player. Like people are telling me he's Giannis with a three. Seriously, people are telling me that. He's Giannis with a three. Look at what you have to do to try to sell to me that he's him. You have to take a player like Giannis, who is arguably the best in the league, and say, yeah, but add a three and make him five inches taller. Like, come on, son. Like, there's, there's no comparison. Like, I deadass was calling him, you know, Victor Gobert. That first game, then the second game he cooked and looked a little bit better defensively. But still, to me, I'm like, oh, you're in the G League. You're going to get bully ball. Where does he translate at the next level? Where? Where are you putting Vic? You're going to put him as, as a forward? You're going to play him at the five? I would never. I would never. And I know this could be crazy. I would play him at the two. I would play Victor Webinyama at the two. 
that man should not, or excuse me, that boy should not be nowhere near the paint for a few years. He needs to play on the outside. He's a guard, yo. Just like Magic was 6'9", but was a point guard, Victor Webinyama is a guard. I don't care that he's 7'4". You put him in the paint, you're doing a detriment to that boy's development. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Because who's he going to guard? Yes, he's got the wingspan. I get it. He'll block shots. Who's he going to stop with someone in front of him? You're going to play zone? You're going to zone up? Just have him stand there and put his hands up like he's Taco Fall? Is, is that what he's going to do? Who can he guard? Consistently, night after night, what's MB going to do to him? What's MB? What's Jokic? What, what's the, the clear-cut premier big going to do to him in the paint? He'll get some blocks because he has to. Sean Bradley got a lot of blocks. He also got dunked on a lot and got bully-balled a lot. It's going to happen to Vic. It's going to happen to Vic. So if you want to take that at number one, hey, man. To me, this is Zion. Uh, wow, Zion. Combine those two. This is Zion versus Ja all over again. If you want to fall for the hype, go ahead and fall for it. But I watch too much basketball to sit here and just get enamored by someone's wingspan. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening and watching. Uh, we do this here once a week. Now that NBA season is back, we're definitely going to be back to weekly pods. I have streamlined my process so that I'm able to do these quicker and easier, both audio and visually. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube. Link is in the description. Subscribe to the podcast. That link is also in the description. And I really do appreciate it. I put a lot of work into this. Go ahead up the samd.com. I revamped it. Hit me up. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. All feedback is appreciated. Except for the trolls. You know what I do with those. I block those. But it's all good. Uh, also, the socials. Let's do that. Follow on the socials on the, I guess, maybe now kind of sort of back to being the Elon app at the samd. T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. But I really do appreciate y'all for checking it out and listening. Let me know if there's any issues. And I'll catch y'all next week. Peace.